Welcome to the Sloth Investor Podcast with your host, Mr. Sloth. Welcome everyone to episode eight of the Sloth Investor Podcast, an investing podcast that explores why I believe the humble sloth is the best animal to characterize successful investing. Once again, I'm joined by my fellow Sloth Investor and co-host Jay. Jay, how are you? The sun is out today after almost a week of tropical rains, so I am doing very well. How about you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad at all. And oh my goodness, Jay, we've had so much rain this week in Hong Kong, but like you quite rightly say, it's so good to have the sunny weather back with us now. It really is. Okay, so uh, Jay, uh, with the Olympics starting tomorrow, our theme this week is sporting analogies to investing. But before we get started, I wanted to send a shout out to all of our listeners, whether they are new listeners or more seasoned listeners of the podcast. We've seen a very pleasing degree of growth in recent weeks as we've been listened to in 36 countries and we've now been listened to in South America, bringing the number of continents that have accessed the show to five. And these continents are Asia, Europe, Oceania, North America and South America. So, Jay, uh, seeing as the Olympics is such a global event, I thought it was about time that we sent a shout out to all of our listeners around the world. All right. So I'm going to go alphabetically by continent and I'll begin with Asia. So I'd like to thank our listeners in Singapore, Malaysia, Taiwan, India, Hong Kong, China, Japan, the UAE and Israel. That is that is quite an impressive reach. What about Europe, Europe, another big continent in which we actually have a presence. Can you comment on our, our listeners there or, or sort of uh, give them a shout out? Absolutely, Jay. Absolutely. We've got listeners in Denmark, the Czech Republic, England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Germany, Switzerland, Latvia, Belgium, the Netherlands, Portugal, Ireland, France, Finland, Greece, Italy, Sweden, Norway, the Faroe Islands, Hungary, and Austria. And in Oceania, we have listeners in Australia and New Zealand. So thank you to our listeners in Australia and New Zealand. And moving on to uh, my home continent uh, of North America, we have listeners in the United States, Canada, whoop, whoop, <laughs> and in Bermuda. Bermuda, it's fantastic to have listeners in Bermuda. It sounds really, really such an amazing place like to visit one day. Um, and last but certainly not least, we would like to thank our listeners in Brazil. So at the moment, our sole representative country in South America is Brazil. But Jay, we're confident that we can attract some more sloth investors in that region of the world. So Jay, wow, quite simply, five continents and 36 countries, Africa, we're waiting for you, okay? We're waiting to reach our sixth continent. Jay, what are your thoughts on our international growth? Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm quite humbled by it. And I'm, I'm, my hope is by doing this, when we first had this idea, our hope was just to help people, the average Joe with investing and how they can sort of help themselves and avoid some of the pitfalls and traps and mistakes that people like myself have made uh, as an investor. An average Jay, you might say. <laughs> like, I couldn't, I couldn't help Jack. Hey, but you know, you've been investing for some time now. You have become a sloth investor, so very much more than an average Joe, I would say, Jay. Absolutely, that's a compliment I can pay you. So, uh, so Jay, um, I know that you're a big sports fan. So, uh, why don't you begin with our first sporting analogy this week? Yeah, we're moving from movies to sport analogies for this week, and um, of course. I'm from Canada, and my hometown actually is Brantford, Ontario, which for any Canadian or um, some ice hockey fans out there will know, that's the home of Wayne Gretzky. And Wayne Gretzky is widely considered to be the best ever hockey player that, to ever play the sport. And I grew up idolizing him. And one of the things that was sort of synonymous with Wayne Gretzky is, was his saying, don't go to where the puck is, but go to where the puck is going to be. And I felt that actually this would be a great way to kick off our, our podcast this week because it, it applies actually not only to sport, but also to investing. 
Absolutely. I love that quote. And even though I'm not as familiar as you are with Wayne Gretzky, I've heard the name, but I don't know as much about it. I was impressed that you knew the name. When you brought it up to me, then I was like, hey, how did you know? Impressive. I know. I knew the name, but you know, when it comes to ice hockey, you, you know, you know so much more than me, but definitely, definitely familiar with with Wayne Gretzky and the quote. And it's a great quote to kick off this Olympic special, this episode in which we're going to really explore sporting analogies to investing okay so like jay quite already said a moment ago the notion of skating to the puck is so relevant to the realm of investing so i'm a firm believer that it's difficult to make predictions but we can certainly make inferences about companies about sectors okay so difficult to make predictions but we can make inferences so earlier today I was helping my three-year-old daughter write numbers. I asked her to form some numbers by joining the dots. And this is somewhat similar to what we as investors need to do. We need to join the dots, to take a look at clues, to piece together the evidence, to begin to make inferences about the coming decade and even further out. And I need to make it clear here that I'm thinking about those investors that are keen to invest in individual stocks or sectors that they believe will outperform the overall market and then hold such stocks for a long period of time to reap the rewards of compounding. So one of the key inferences that I've made is the tremendous growth that could lie ahead for companies that help humanity achieve the goal of decarbonizing, okay? To achieve the goal of decarbonizing. So the wholesale change any actions of the Rockefeller Brothers Fund has influenced my thinking here. Okay, so first of all, though, it's important to remember that the fund's founding members were the grandsons of Standard Oil co-founder John D. Rockefeller. Okay, a long history of association with the oil industry is what we can uh, correlate the Rockefeller Brothers Fund to. All right, so if you take a look at the mission statement of the Rockefeller Brothers Fund on their official website, you can see that they mention respect for ecological integrity, okay, ecological integrity. So on the one hand, you've got an organization with an unmistakable link to the oil industry, but on the other hand, this organization also recognizes the need for ecological integrity. Now, obviously, it's not difficult to see how the fund could be accused of hypocrisy. However, to their credit, there has been a transformational change in the fund's policy towards oil and other less clean forms of energy generation. So I'm going to share a quote now from Valerie Rockefeller, great-great-granddaughter of John D. Rockefeller and chair of the Rockefeller Brothers Fund Board of Trustees. Begin quote. Oil is obviously a definitional part of my family's past, but it has no place in our future, end quote. In addition, these are the words of Stephen B. Heinz, president and CEO of the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. He states, begin quote, we were one of the leading foundations supporting work to combat global warming. And here we still were invested in the very substances that were causing global warming in the first place. We spent the last five years proving oil was bad, not only for the environment, but for the bottom line. The rationale for continued investment in gas and oil is fading fast, end quote. Now, in addition to the type of transformational policy thinking that we're seeing on a part of the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, we can also take note of several other key factors on horizon. So I would argue that consumers are increasingly aware of the need to invest in cleaner, greener forms of investment, perhaps galvanized by the attention that has been shone on figures such as David Attenborough, the nature broadcaster, and Greta Thunberg. Also, in November of this year, 2021, we've got the United Nations Climate Change Conference, also known as COP26. It's scheduled to be held in the city of Glasgow in Scotland. We've seen a range of initiatives such as the United Nations Race to Zero campaign. And then there's the Climate Pledge initiative that includes companies such as Amazon, Microsoft, Mercedes-Benz, PepsiCo, Unilever, and many others. 
And finally, the Biden administration, the Biden administration has made it very clear that clean energy is a chief priority. This is what Jennifer M. Granholm, Secretary of Energy, recently had to say on a, rec- on a recent budget request that was tailored towards clean energy generation. Begin quote. President Biden's budget request puts America in a driver's seat as we transition towards a 100% clean energy economy. These investments will ensure the US is the global leader in research, development, and deployment of critical energy technologies to combat the climate crisis, end quote. So many, many things we consider in connection to clean energy, okay, and the potential growth within the area. So Jay, what are your thoughts on clean energy? I'm just going to back up for one second to the opening quote about Wayne Gretzky, go to where Mm -hmm. the puck um, is going to be, not where the puck has been. And I, 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 it makes me think of now, as you were talking, I was starting to think about Andrew Hellum, and Andrew Hellum has dug into the, the likelihood of an active broker who you might give your money to and who is um, taking your, your money and investing it in different stocks. And the likelihood of that active broker beating the market in two years consecutive, three years consecutive, is very unlikely. And so when I think about... What's happening? Um, what I the, one of the mistakes I was making, I was giving my money to a broker who was like, "Oh, this has gone up a lot. We're going to invest in this," and that's the mistake that a lot of people are making. They're going to where the puck has been, and not where the puck is going to be. And perhaps this sort of relates to green energy. Yeah, and this is where this is the future. This is where it has to be. And it, it makes me think of David Gardner from The Motley Fool and his pinned tweet. And he, he says something along the lines of, make your portfolio reflect your best vision of the future. And I know for me, on a personal level, I've started to get out of my, um, I, had, I, I had until about a year ago, oil investments. Um, they paid a decent dividend um, and they were, they were doing okay uh, as a return. But when I read that quote, um, I started to think, you know, that, that I, I, I do need to be aware and I need to be someone who's putting action behind my words. And for my own children, I hope they would do the same. And so I've started to take action and, and, and I'm investing now in not only um, where I think the puck is going to be, but also in the future of what I think um, the world we, we need to transition to. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that, Jane. I love the fact that you raised that quote. You mentioned that quote from David Garner there. He's pinned tweet. Okay. So making your portfolio reflect our best, reflect the best vision for our future. I think it's great. It's so important. Okay. You've made some really, really good points there. It's critical that we consider how we can best use our income. How can we really utilize the capital that we earn and that we invest in the best possible way for our children, and for our grandchildren, for future generations. And that's one of the great things about investing. That's something that we mentioned last week. You can have a say in the world that you want to grow into and you want your children and grandchildren to grow into. So, yeah, that's a really good point, Jay. And then, and then again, it, came, it comes back to traditionally, yes, oil might have been a good a good return. Dirty fuels might have been a good return. Mm. Um, but now we're, we want to go to where the puck is going to be, which is, and my hope and my anticipation um, our clean energy. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about where we can find companies that could benefit from the increasing push towards a cleaner world, uh, a clean energy world? Mm, that's a very good question, Jay. So um, one option for listeners out there would be to go to etf.com. Okay. So simply etf.com. And this is something I did just recently. I literally, I typed in clean energy. Okay. So into the search bar at the top of the page, I typed in clean energy. And when you do that, you're going to get a raft of different results showing you some ETFs devoted to the clean energy sector. Okay. And one I stumbled upon, okay, it's quite, you know, near towards the top of the research results, was um, the iShares Global Clean Energy ETF. I'll say it again, the iShares Global Clean Energy ETF, and it has a ticker symbol ICLN. And this ETF tracks the S&P Global Clean Energy Index. All right, and what you can do, if you wanted to begin to gain a, a deep insight into the companies that are within the clean energy sector, that 
could potentially benefit from the trends that we're seeing, the policy changes we're seeing, um, you can simply look at a component. So I clicked, this is what I simply did, I clicked on the iShares Global Clean Energy ETF fact sheet, and then I was able to view the top 10 holdings, for example, okay? So it's a great way to kick off your research. And one that jumped out at me was Next Era Energy. And this is a name that I've seen, you know, in various different funds, clean energy um, funds, and it's appeared in several different factories I've seen. It's That's one I'd like to dig a bit deeper into. So again, to all my four, to all the listeners here, listen to Jay and I, please don't just go ahead and, you know, buy a stock if we mention it. Go ahead, do your own due diligence, mm. read more about it. What does the Motley Fool have to say about Seeking Alpha? Go to the company website. But this is, you know, that can very much be a catalyst, you know, taking a look at the fact sheet for a global clean energy uh, fund, like I mentioned, ICLN. Take a look. What companies do you see? Dig a bit deeper. That could be your first uh, initial point of reference, okay? Just to note for any British listeners out there as well, so the British equivalent of this ETF fund, denominated in British pounds, is um, has the ticker symbol INRG. So INRG, all right? So almost energy, almost energy. Ah, I like it. I like it, Jay. I like it, okay? So, so again, like I mentioned before, if you see a company and it piques your interest, Take a look. What has the Motley Fool written about them? Visit the company website. Are the articles on Seek and Alpha about them? You can read the company's 10K annual report to get a really deep dive into the company, their growth prospects, their financials, and so on. Okay, so that would be a good start. ETF.com. Jay, did you want to mention any uh, ETFs that you're familiar with that you may even own? I personally own, and sorry, almost not too dissimilar to what you're talking about, um, I did a little bit of research on ETF, um, ETF.com and what I'm investing in are two two ETFs, clean energy ETFs are um, QCLN mm. and TAN. And they're both traded on uh, the American exchange. They're traded in the US. Um, but those are two, and inside there, inside that ETF, if you don't know, it's a basket of different companies that they've chosen to invest in. And so you can invest in a wide range of different companies inside that uh, by holding that ETF. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned both those ETFs. And I, like you, happen to own TAN as well. It was a recommendation from a friend of ours, Steve. Steve uh, recommended TAN to us. And, made, you know, what a great call that was. Kudos to Steve. Because he is exactly yeah. the same person who put me onto QCLN yeah. and to TAN. And uh, yeah. those have both been winners. And I think Steve... Um, I know he's a Philadelphia Flyers hockey fan, <laughs> ah. but um, as a diehard Edmonton Oilers and Wayne Gretzky fan, I I, I appreciate your um, your advice and guidance on this one. Yeah, and you think you'll appreciate the Wayne Gretzky reference, right? I think you'll love that <laughs> one. I think you'll love the one. Um, what advice would you give to someone? That, uh, sorry, and I. My question is: What if someone doesn't want to own individual stocks? Yeah. So what would what advice would you give to someone who who doesn't know where to begin and doesn't know what to do and they're they're still stuck? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point because you know perhaps this person, you know, they've come to conclusion that the puck is heading towards the expansion of clean energy, and they want their portfolio to reflect this, but perhaps they don't fully have the expertise or, you know, perhaps even the time to select a specific stocks that are likely to be best for them. So what could these investors do? Well, you know what I would say, buy, buy the ETF. If you really feel you've done your due diligence, you've done your research and uh, you've explored different documents and you really feel that there's a particular industry that's going to be a real growth area, but you don't feel confident enough or you don't have the time to really select those individual stocks, then buy DTF. okay? So we can mention that not only with regards to clean energy, but I could also mention that with regards to genomics, okay? So genomics is an area that's been getting, uh, been garnering a lot of attention within the last 12 to 24 months. It really has, okay? And um, I know myself that, wow, that area, genomics, I really feel like I need to be a specialist in that regard. I, the more yeah. and more I read about it, the more demyst- the more mystifying it becomes. It's like a, a blurry mist, really, when I read about it. And I, but on the other hand, I don't want to miss out because I really do feel there could be growth of an error. So I, I own the ARC G fund. And Jay, am I confident in saying that you own that fund as well? Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, Kathy Woods, yeah. um, uh, like her or loathe her, love mm. her or loathe her, um, 
she has been quite successful. Um, now, I will mention that her the fees for the the ARC funds, yeah. they I think they tend to be around 0.75%, which is traditionally a bit higher end mm. for an ETF. Um, there are some ETFs that are like as low as like 0.15% um, annual fee. Mm. But um, so far, touch wood, she's really been able to identify areas sorry, her and her team have been able to identify areas that um, are, sorry, sectors and, and companies that are, are going to really um, go to where the puck is going to be. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really important. What about investors? How can they gain insights into potential growth areas over the coming decades and, and further out? Mm, that's a really good point. So we've mentioned clean energy. We've mentioned genomics. And the thing is, you read the Motley for website, you read, follow people on Twitter, and it's overwhelming. There are just so many potential growth areas, okay? So, you know, let me begin now with some other avenues through which people can learn more about where these growth areas could be, okay? Where could the puck be going towards, okay? So I've mentioned the Motley for a few times now, but yeah, absolutely. The Motley Fool website at fool.com is a fantastic resource, okay? So I'm going to mention three of their contributors right now. There are many more, but I'm going to just pinpoint three right now. So the first is Leo Sun. Okay, so he's a tech writer for The Motley Fool. So a simple Google search of Leo Sun Motley Fool. That's Sun, S-U-N, you not got S-O-N. Absolutely, S-U-N. Thanks for that, Jay. That's brilliant. Yeah, Leo Sun Motley Fool will enable listeners to read his articles, okay? And you can also follow him on Twitter. And his Twitter handle is TMF, capital TMF, Sun Lion. Okay, so capital T, capital M, capital F, S-U-N-L-I-O-N. And um, he's got some really great insights with regards to the tech industry. Um, another great writer is Jason Moser, an analyst for The Motley Fool. He is the host of The Motley Fool podcast, Industry Focus, and can also be followed on Twitter by locating his handle, which is TMF, capital T, capital M, capital F, capital J, M-O, small letters M-O. So T-M-F-J, M-O, Jason Moser. And the final person I mentioned is Brian Feroldi. He's an amazing follower on Twitter. And the fact that he has almost 200,000 followers is testament to this, okay? And his Twitter handle is at Brian Feroldi. And it's capital B, then R-I-A-N, capital F, E-R-O-L-D-I, an amazing follow. So can I just can I just make yeah, mention yeah. Um, before we go on that we actually we it, may, it might sound like it we're, we're big fans of the Montley Fool, but we have nothing to gain by mentioning yeah, them. There, there is no financial interest for us. Um, we're we're just we have access to the exact same content um, that the average listener does. But I think what and Andrew Hellam mentions that smart people will um, they're not going to. They're going to invest their money with um, sort of the the um, per fee fee brokers. Is that what they're called? The one time mm. fee. And yeah. we, I've personally had quite a bit of success from paying that annual once once a year fee yeah. and getting advice from the Montley Fool. So there's nothing to be gained from us. But yeah. I think we mention it so often because it's it can be as simple as that yeah. for the uh, for someone who doesn't know where to begin. It can be that can be a great starting point for you. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And I was going to mention this a little bit later, but I'll mention it now. So, we, you know, we've got to remember, we all have our own investing palette, okay? So I like to make a comparison to eating in a restaurant, okay? So when we go to a restaurant, it's invariably the case that everyone will want to order a different meal. Some of us like spicy food. Some of us will not be so keen on spicy food. We will have a, a different palette, don't we? Taste palette. And it's the same with investing. I fundamentally believe that for 95% of people, the best course of action will be that ultra sloth portfolio, okay? Simple, low-fee, globally diversified portfolio. But nevertheless, I also feel that it's great to behave like a sloth with these high-quality individual stocks. And reading Motley Fool, you're going to find out about these, these individual stocks, gather the research. And what Jay and I do, yes, we have signed up to, you know, you can uh, sign up to a one-year service, for example. You can you can sign up for longer periods of time as well. You could be stock advisor or rule breakers, and you can find out, for example, about those great individual stocks. But again, to be clear, you know we're not Motley Fool representatives. We're not only commission, but it's just something that we've gleaned from our own insights and being members of the Motley Fool in terms of 
sign up for their website. It's a, it's a great service and you can find out so much about the companies that are going to be those great potential multi-bags of the future. All right, so going back to Brian Feroldi, um, he asked a great question on Twitter recently. He said, you know, what company is worth less than $10 billion today, but you think could be worth $500 billion in a few decades? And, and Jay, he received 710 answers and he whittled his answers down to his top 20. Okay, so for the sake of brevity, I won't share all 20 but I'll share one of them now, okay? And I'll start with Ozon, okay? Take and a, you have mentioned this one before. I've mentioned this one before. And can you believe it? That was one of the top 20 answers from his question on Twitter. Okay, and Ozon, for those not familiar, uh, this company is the leader in Russian e-commerce, okay? The ticker symbol is quite simply O-Z-O-N. And the company is experiencing tremendous growth right now. Okay, so when I think about Ozon, I'm reminded of a great quote by the American author, William Gibson. It's a short quote, here it is, begin quote. The future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed, end quote. Okay, so this quote refers to the fact that the things that will constitute the normal or everyday within the lives of those living in the future already exist for some today. Okay, so when we consider e-commerce, the cynic might state that there's little little room for growth. You know, Amazon is an almost $2 trillion company. How much, how much more room for growth can there really be with regards to e-commerce? However, it's important to recognize that e-commerce is certainly not, to use Gibson's phrase, evenly distributed around the globe. So in this regard, we have Ozon in Russia. There's also Sea Limited in Southeast Asia, the leading e-commerce player in that region with the ticker symbol SE. Incidentally, as Jay just mentioned, we've discussed both of these companies before during episode three of the podcast, during our episode on owning the world, okay? Episode three, owning the world. So if you think that e-commerce has still got a long runway for growth around the world, then C-Limited and Ozone are two names that are certainly worth looking into. Please don't go out and buy the stock on what we're saying here. Do your own due diligence. Read what the Motley Fool says. Maybe take a look and seek an Alpha, another great investing research site. Maybe take a look on the company websites. Okay, but do your own due diligence. That's for sure. Would you like to touch on the importance of reading perhaps outside of the conventional investment sites and how this can help us understand the direction of, or sorry, where the puck is going to be. Mm, absolutely, Jay, that's a great question, okay? So I'll mention a great book by Kevin Kelly, okay? And it's entitled, The Inevitable. Understanding the 12 technological forces that will shape our future. And it was released in 2016, okay? And shout out to my father-in-law, John here, because um, he actually owns this book. And I'm, yeah, I must've read about four or five years ago now when I was staying in his home. and. Let me just mention the gist of the book, okay? So the book is broken down into these 12 technological forces, okay? Into these, and they, they form the 12 chapters, okay? And here's what they are. Becoming, cognifying, flowing, screening, accessing, sharing, filtering, remixing, interacting, tracking, questioning, and beginning, okay? And those... 12 words are, are the themes of this book, okay? And they form the 12 chapters of the book, okay? So what I'll do, I'll just share an insight now from chapter five, okay, on the subscription economy, okay? So this is what Kevin, Killen, Kevin Kelly has to say on the subscription economy. And he obviously believed that there was there's growth to be had there, that there was growth with regards to subscriptions, okay? So begin quote, the switch from ownership that you purchase to access that you subscribe to overturns many conventions. Ownership is casual, fickle. If something better comes along, grab it. A subscription, on the other hand, gushes a never-ending stream of updates, issues, and versions that force a constant interaction between the producer and the consumer. It is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing relationship. To access a service, a customer is often committed to it in a far stronger way than when he or she purchases an item. The longer you're with the service, the better it gets to know you and the better it knows you, 
the harder it is to leave and start over again. It's almost like being married. Naturally, the producer cherishes this kind of loyalty, but the customer gets, or should get, many advantages for continuing as well. Uninterrupted quality, continuous improvements, attentive personalization, assuming it's a good service, end quote. Okay, and something that really speaks to what Kevin Kelly is writing about here with regards to the subscription economy is the growth in the share price of companies that have moved to this subscription basis. Okay, so let's take Adobe. Okay, so in 2013, they shifted their business model from boxed software to recurring subscriptions. Okay, and Adobe, wow, Jay, I can't believe this. In my research, I, I, I discovered that they've returned, the company has returned over 500% in the past five years, an average annual return of 44% per year. That's quite astonishing, really. So, Jay, what are your thoughts on the subscri- subscription economy? Well, when, I've, <clears throat> when I first moved to Hong Kong, um, I went to join a gym. And the gym wanted me to pay sort of a one-time fee, but then also a monthly subscription fee. And this was, this was new to me when I first came to Hong Kong because I was just used to joining a gym and then you pay the one-time fee and then there you go. You're, you're, you're in your, you've got your membership for the rest of your life. And then kudos to gyms because they figured it out early, almost the subscription fee, this reoccurring subscription fee. And if you're as old as I am in the app store, it used to be you could buy an app for $0.99, cents, $1.99, and then, then you had the app for the rest of your life. Well, I don't know if anybody's noticed the transition, but most apps are free now, but then there's the in-app purchases. And those in-app purchases um, for any, from the Apple Store are those subscription models. That, that, that This is the best way to, to generate um, income, reoccurring income. And the iPhone is actually really no different because it's just a big sorry, a, a small handheld way for you to subscribe to a many different apps in which Apple will benefit from because they charge the companies um, some, uh, some, they take their cut. When, they app, when an app gets uh, money from the app store, the Apple gets their cut. And so this is repeated income for companies like Apple. Mm, it's incredible. It really is incredible. Okay. So That was a really good deep dive into skating towards the puck. That great quote from Wayne Gretzky. So, Jay, um, do you have another sporting analogy that you would like to make? Well, I can't help but think, for especially for for the the new investor out there, the newbies out there, the 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 quote from Nike: "Just do it." Oh, I love that. And you have to you have to just get you just have to do it. You have to get started somehow. So I was talking to an investor yesterday, and it's like, uh, have you have you begun now your portfolio? And like, oh yeah, I, I just invested two hundred dollars um, U.S. And I was like, that, you know what? That that's that's great. There there's nothing to you sound a bit sheepish about it, but there's nothing to be sheepish about because you just need to do it. You just need to get started, and that's dip your toe in the water. Um, find your comfortability level, find what you want to do and find how the system works and how you can invest. And I think that for me, that's a great, a great way to begin is just dip your toe in the water and just do it. Just try it and you'll learn some lessons, but not be afraid to get going. Absolutely, Jay. And that's great. And I'm just linking back to last week's podcast episode, okay? Episode seven, we spoke about anti-models, okay? Anti-models part two. And we, we spoke about that person, who just doesn't ever get started. That was our first anti-model that we explored last week, okay? And the reason that that, that person is an anti-model is because of the opportunity cost. If you don't make that first initial step, if you don't purchase shares, whether it's going to be in an index fund, or ETF, or individual stock, then you're missing out, okay? So like Jay just said, just do it. Just get started no matter what you start with, $200, $500, whatever it is you start with, okay? Just get started and you're beginning that journey, okay? That investing journey. It's really, really important, okay? And, you know, circling back to the Olympics again, I would just make that analogy to the fact that investing is a marathon, it's not a sprint, all right? So it's easy to get caught up into the day-to-day slings and arrows of the market. Okay, hey, Monday wasn't a particularly good day in the market. Tuesday was better, so we, you know, we can easy, easy, easily see how it's, you know, 
so tempting to get caught up in a day-to-day movement. But we must remember that investing is a marathon, okay? So compounding takes time. And the very best investors that I know, okay, are those who have held tight, whether it's individual stocks, whether it's ETFs, they've held tight for a long time. They've tuned out the noise and they've committed to the fact that investing is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Bonnie Blair, uh, uh, for those of you who know American speed skating and a five-time gold medalist, she said, winning doesn't always mean you're first. Winning means you're doing better than you've done before. Oh, I love that. And that's, to me, again, that's the same thing that, you know, you, you can be winning at your investments by just doing better than you've done before. Absolutely. That's great. Can you, yeah. okay, you're from the UK. The, <clears throat> the, the home of, of football slash soccer, yep. for those of you who are in North America, <laughs> surely you must have a soccer slash football analogy that you might want to make. Jay, thank you for asking. I can't resist. Okay, anybody know? <laughs> I, had, I got my hockey one in. <laughs> exactly. I mean, anyone that knows me knows that I'm a big football fan, soccer for our North American friends, our North American listeners. And, you know, I want to talk now about the spine of a soccer team, okay? So anybody who is a follower of uh, soccer, I'm going to use soccer. I use soccer to my, to my, for my North American audience. I'm going to use the word soccer, okay? Um, I'm going to talk about the spine. And we hear often football commentators i've used that football now sorry soccer i'll stick to soccer we hear <laughs> soccer commentators often using this phrase hey that team's got a great spine or we we think about managers too managers often refer to the spine of their team and let me just it, dig down into what this really means okay so the spine refers to those four or five key players that really had those leadership abilities that are really influential that really you know when they're playing nine times out of ten the team is going to win, okay? So I'm thinking back to, I'm not a Chelsea football fan, but I'm thinking back to Chelsea, okay? So Chelsea were managed on two separate occasions by Jose Mourinho, and around about 2004, Mourinho joined, okay? And I think back to that era in the club's history, they had a great goalkeeper, Petr Cech, okay? I believe in the Czech Republic. Uh, amazing, amazing central defender, great leader, John Terry, a central midfielder, Frank Lampard, and a star striker from the Ivory Coast, Didier Drogba. Okay, so I think about those four players. If those four players were playing for Chelsea, that's a great spine, really, really strong leadership qualities. I'm thinking now about Barcelona. And during that same time period, they were very successful, okay? Between around about 2005 to 2015, they won the Champions League, a European soccer competition several occasions. And again, they had an amazing spine to their team. Carlos Puyol, a great captain, leader for Barcelona and Spain. Um, Iniesta and Javi, two great midfielders. And of course, he's still there, but star player of the world's, in my opinion, the world's best football player at the moment, Lionel Messi. Okay, so those four, four members of that spine, if, when they were playing, in my opinion, if they're playing Puyol, Iniesta, Javi, Messi, okay, it's likely that they're going to win. So the spine of a soccer team gives stability, gives assurance to the team. It provides a solid foundation to that soccer team. All right, and it got me thinking about an investor's portfolio because I thought to myself, you know, what can give this stability to your portfolio? Okay, what gives it a solid backbone? You know, and when I thought about this, the first thing that came to mind was an index fund or maybe, you know, an ETF that tracks an index fund, okay? I know this is something that many other financial investing commentators comment upon as well is that if you want to give yourself a solid foundation, a solid backbone, something that's going to give stability to your your portfolio, there's certainly nothing wrong with assigning a significant amount of your capital to a low fee ETF, okay? Globally diversified ETF, okay? So, Jay, I'm going to ask you, what are your thoughts on this concept of an index fund or globally diversified ETF that tracks index fund providing stability and a solid spine to an investor's portfolio? Well, I have to say that uh, I'm somebody who um, I do my, I like to think I do due diligence and I, I listen and I read and I find um, some individual stocks that I want to invest in, whether it be a one-time uh investment or maybe a semi-regular investment, but my regular investment every month is always my ETF. Mm-hmm. And that for me 
um, I feel a lot more confident in my portfolio knowing that I'm just making that regular contribution always every month. For me, what works for me is every month I, I put even a little bit of money in, sometimes more money um, into my ETF. And then I use some of my other money to invest in other stocks that I feel might be um, what I hope would be some winners based on my research and and due diligence. Excellent, excellent. That's great, Jay. And I, I just love the fact that we've, um, yeah, come to an agreement though, and the fact that, yeah, you know, an ETF, a high quality ETF that tracks an index fund can really provide a great backbone, can provide a spine to your portfolio. It's really, really, really important. Okay, so um, Jay, if you don't mind, I'm gonna make a further analogy between soccer and investing. I know you're chopping at the bits because you've got to throw in a coach. Yeah, I'm going to throw in a coach. coach. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, during that time that Chelsea were really successful, around about 2004, 2007, um, their manager was Jose Mourinho, okay, now manager of Roma, originally from Portugal. And um, at the same time, uh, the manager of Barcelona was Pep Guardiola, a former player, successful player. But, you know, what's interesting is that despite the fact that both of these coaches, Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola, achieved success during their time with these respective clubs, both were very different. So Jose Mourinho hmm, could perhaps be accused of being, you know, quite pragmatic, pretty defensive. Pep Guardiola, on the other hand, very much more of an attacking coach. His teams, I would argue, more exciting to watch. Okay. But, Jay... And our listeners out there, I would argue there's more than one way to win a soccer match. And likewise, likewise, there's more than one way to be a successful investor. Okay, so again, bringing us back to that analogy I made before about food. Okay, yes, we've all, we've all got our own taste palette. We've all got our own taste in food. Some like spicy food, some not. And likewise, there's more than one way in which we can invest. There's more than one way in which we can coach a soccer team. So it's really, really important to recognize that personal finance is personal for a reason, all right? So essentially, it is the investor's investment palette that puts the personal in personal finance, okay? So just like I mentioned, there's more than one way to win a football match, there's also more than one way for you to invest. All right, so really, really, I think it's pretty important for us to recognize that we don't have to listen to one particular person or group of people when they talk about the best way to invest. You need to find what works best for you. So Jay, do you have any other sporting analogies to investing? Well, I don't want to steal your thunder because I know you have a great one from the CEO of Netflix. Mm. Go ahead, take it. I'm not going to take it from you. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, Jay, no worries. So, you know... I, I want to speak about this analogy that Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, has made to baseball. So, again, I'm going to confess, I'm a Brit, and I don't know a <laughs> tremendous amount about baseball, but I did attend a baseball game a couple of years ago in Seattle, and I really enjoyed it. I had a very tasty hot dog. My friend Joe, who happens to be a Chelsea fan, by the way, so I'm making all these connections, but it was a great game. Um, but, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make this analogy now because... Um, there's some interesting information I stumbled upon from a book that explores the philosophy at Netflix, and it's co-authored by Reed Hastings and Erin Meyer. And the book's title is No Rules Rules, Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention. Okay, so again, Reed, Hast- Reed Hastings is, of course, the CEO at Netflix. And in the book, they use an analogy of a baseball team to comment on the culture at Netflix. So this idea originally stemmed from Patty McCord, who is formerly the chief talent officer at Netflix. So these are her words, begin quote. I just watched Ball Durham with my kids. On a pro baseball team, the players have great relationships. These players are really close. They support one another. They celebrate together, console one another, and know each other's plays so well that they can move as one without speaking. But... They are not a family. The coach swaps and trades players in and out throughout the year in order to make sure they always have the best player in every position, end quote. So Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, was obviously impressed by Patty McCall's baseball metaphor, but this is what he went on to write in No Rules Rules. Okay, begin quote. Patty was right. 
at Netflix, I want each manager to run her department like the best professional teams, working to create strong feelings of commitment, cohesion, and camaraderie, while continually making tough decisions to ensure the best player is manning each post. A professional sports team is a good metaphor for high talent density because athletes on professional teams demand excellence, counting on the manager to make sure every position is filled by the best person at any given time. Train to win, expecting to receive candid and continuous feedback about how to top up their game from the coach and from one another. No effort isn't enough recognizing that if they put in a B performance, despite an A for effort, they will be thanked and respectfully swapped out for another player. On a high-performing team, collaboration and trust work well because all the members are exceptionally skilled both for what they do and at working well with others. For an individual to be deemed excellent, she can't just be amazing at the game. She has to be selfless and put the team before her own ego. She has to know when to pass the ball how to help her teammates thrive and recognize that the only way to win is for the team to win together. This is exactly the type of culture we were going for at Netflix. This is when we started saying that at Netflix, we are a team, not a family. Team members are playing to stay on a team with every game. For people who value job security over winning championships, Netflix is not the right choice. And we try to be clear and non-judgmental about that. But for those who value being on winning teams, our culture provides a great opportunity. Like any team successfully competing at the highest level, we form deep relationships and care about each other. End quote. So I know, listeners, that was a really long quote, but I thought it was a really great way for for us to understand the world of business and how it can really be connected to the world of sport. And I like the fact that they've touched upon baseball, the connections there between baseball and the culture at Netflix. So, Jay, any thoughts there about that? No, I, you know what? I have to admit that I had never heard that quote before, and I'm just rereading it as, as you're going through it. And actually, it, it's it's hard to disagree with it, right? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. To, at first, you're like, "Well, that's a bit cold." Yeah, uh, we're 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 a team, not a family. But then, yeah, um, it actually seems. Quite right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm going to read about it. I, I missed out from before, but you know, that he mentions if we are going to be a championship team, then we want the best performer possible in every position. The old notion is that an employee has to do something wrong or it'll be inadequate to lose their job. But in a pro or Olympic sports team, the players understand the coach, coach's role is to upgrade if necessary to move from good to great. So, yeah, like you say, you know, it could be seen as cold at first, quite ruthless. But fundamentally, you know, if we, we take a look at the success of Netflix, the subsequent rise in the share price, then, you know, that culture is working for them. Okay, it may not be that that culture would work in every single business entity, but, you know, we can see that at Netflix, that culture has been pervasive and that culture has worked for them. That's for sure. Um, Jay, is there any other analogies that you can think of with regards to sports? Uh, I think I might be analogied out at the moment. Analogied out. I'm going to make just one or two more, if you don't mind, listeners. I'm going to make one, two. So I think about the Tour de France. I'm thinking about the Tour de France. And, you know, listeners, I'm going to put your mind at ease. Now, if you think back to last week, guys, I spoke about the fact that I had a fixed mindset. And I, as an eight-year-old, did not want to learn to ride a bike. Jay and my fellow listeners out there, I can put your mind at ease. I did eventually learn to ride a bike. So I did, guys, don't worry. I'm not I'm not 38 years old as I am now, and I'm not someone who cannot ride a bike. I eventually learned to ride a bike. Okay? At 36 of age, 36 <laughs> years of age, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Tour de France, let me talk to you about the Tour de France, okay? When we think about the Tour de France, we can think about the ups and downs of, of that trail, okay? The ups and downs of the route that the cyclists take. And again, I think we can make a fitting analogy here to the ups and downs in the market you know as someone who's invested for the long term like jay and i are and as many of our listeners will hopefully be you need to expect and uh you need to really appreciate the fact that there's going to be ups in the market there's going to be downs okay that's just an essential part of being a long-term investor okay so likewise to tour de france there's there's um 
you know, mountainous parts of the trail, the the route that the cyclists take, and there's downs, of course, okay? So I think that Tour de France energy is something that I quite like as well. And the Tour de France, of course, just finished recently on Sunday, the 18th of July here in 2021. And I would just make perhaps just one more analogy, and I'm going to come back to soccer here, and I'm, I'm thinking back to those players that I mentioned, okay, Barcelona and Chelsea, okay, and thinking in particular about Barcelona, okay, a Spanish team, okay, they were at the peak of their powers between 2005 to 2015, and during that time, they had players from France, I'm thinking about Thierry Henry, the Ivory Coast, I'm thinking about Yaya Torre, thinking about a great player called Samuel Eto, a great stri- striker from Cameroon. And from Argentina, of course, there's Lionel Messi. So even though Barcelona, Spanish team, they have been made up and still are made up of amazing players from around the world. Okay, and the analogy that I would make is your portfolio. Okay, don't Mm. succumb to home bias. Don't just think, you know what, I'm going to invest in companies in my home country. How can you invest in those great companies from around the world? Whether it's simply buying a low-fee, globally diversified ETF that tracks global index, or whether you want to go a little bit further and you know look for those great global companies from around the world. We mentioned a few in this episode, C-Limited based in Singapore. We've mentioned Ozone. Okay, Do you want to make sure that your portfolio rep- rep- represents the great companies from around the world Okay, that exist today in 2021? and beyond okay so um that's something that's really really important to consider and jay and i you bring up a really good point because i think of all all hockey teams yeah and they're no longer it used to be the they were predominantly made up of just canadians Mm. and if you make that mistake nowadays in, in a truly global world you need to have the best players from all around the world, not just from your home country. And it it holds true in soccer. It holds true in hockey and baseball. Um, I would say that it holds true in your portfolio. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And if anybody wants to learn more about how you can own the world in your portfolio, then I definitely recommend that you listen to episode three of the Slope Investor podcast. And Jay, you know, you used a great quote earlier, a great Olympic quote. And uh, kind of to round things off for this episode, I like to apply a quote now from Jesse Owens, okay, a fantastic American sprinter from the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. And this is a quote that I love, and I think it has so much relevance to the realm of investing. Okay, so here it is, begin quote. We all have dreams, but in order to make dreams come into reality, it takes an awful lot of determination, dedication, self-discipline, and effort. All right. So when I think about dedication, I think about that need to continually invest. Okay. Whether the market is up, whether it's down, just continue to invest, stay the course. Be headstrong. Be headstrong. Absolutely. Persevere. Be headstrong. Okay. And when I think about that self-discipline, okay, be, be disciplined, be headstrong. Don't be swung by the financial media or the neon lights that you see invariably that appear on Wall Street within news bulletins. Okay, be headstrong. Don't be swayed by the slings and arrows of the market. Ignore the noise. Ignore the noise. Tune things out and have that self-discipline. Okay, so I absolutely love that quote from Jesse Owens, an iconic American sprinter. I really do. That's a great way to finish out our podcast. Thanks very much for tuning in, everyone. Um, We will see you very soon on our next podcast. And we actually think we have our next topic sorted out, but we'll reveal it um, maybe on Twitter before too long. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jay. And have a great week, everyone. Take care. For more tips, follow the Sloth Investor on Twitter at Sloth underscore Investor.